Father, as we uh, continue kind of studying the letters of, of, uh, that Paul wrote to Thessalonica or the Thessalonians, God, I pray that you would bless this time as he now kind of reiterates some stuff, goes over some stuff as he opens up this second letter. But God, I pray that it wouldn't be just a letter written to a church uh, millenniums ago, but it would be, and we would consider this your love letter to us. And God, help us to glean from what Paul says to that group of believers and let us put that into our lives and affect our lives today as we walk with you. And God, I know, especially as we look at this section dealing with, with trials and persecution, Lord, we maybe don't go through persecution, but we have, we have things coming up in our lives that are hard to deal with. And I pray, God, that we would learn and we would grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ so those trials become a tool for you to make us better. And so bless this time, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, it's interesting, obviously, that's a letter written, or two letters written to the same place, but how they're so tied together. And I believe, I believe 2 Corinthians was written just months after he sent 1 Corinthians, or for, why am I saying Corinthians? 2 Thessalonians, just written months after 1 Thessalonians. And listen, he's just, I think he's uh, got some feedback and he's answering some things and talking to him. And, uh, Here's the thing, man. That church, I believe, I believe this was one of Paul's favorite churches. And I know, you know, some people go, oh, I don't think so. But man, the way he talks to them and things he says to them, and the fact that he was only there a short time. He had not been there very long, and yet they're suffering and they're going through things that has just gripped the heart of Paul, obviously gripped the heart of God. And then Paul writes to encourage them. And so in this letter, he's going to answer some things I think they asked him about, but he's also going to encourage them in areas that they need encouraging. And I kind of just look at, at three major things he's going to deal with. First of all, he's going to deal with persecution. And we're going to look at that early on, actually, in this, in this first chapter. Really dealing with persecution and, and not the persecution they suffered when he was there, but the ongoing persecution that they're going through. And then the second thing that he's going to deal with, it seems like someone has written a letter and signed his name to it and basically told them they missed the rapture and they missed the coming of the Lord. And now Paul's going to address that. And, and, you know, again, it sort of blows my mind. You know, this is millenniums ago, and people were putting out false things about the church and about what's happening. Huh, millenniums later, we don't write letters anymore. We have this thing called social media that so much false information goes out on. And, you know, no matter what it is, but I think especially the church. Someone showed me something last night about, about the movement we're part of and, and this lengthy thing. And I don't know why they gave it to me. It's like an hour and a half long. And I'm going, this is ridiculous. But listen, man, this guy is just blasting. Listen, he's just blasting ministry. That's all he's doing. He's, and I don't know why he's angry, but he's just mad and blasting ministry. And saints... We shouldn't be doing that. Hey, if something's obviously wrong, yeah, we need to talk about it. But if you don't like somebody's style, you don't like the way they're doing it, it's really none of your business. And we should be supporting that. So Paul, they're writing false things and, and saying Paul said this and Paul did this. And then the, the last part that he's really going to deal with that I think is kind of comical 
is the fact that some of them figured the day of the Lord is coming or the rapture's coming, so they sold their houses, they got their credit cards, they maxed them out, and they quit working. And Paul's saying, that's kind of not a good attitude, right? And hey, again, I think some people do that today. Now you're saying they didn't have credit cards, probably not. But today, some people do that same thing. They think the Lord's coming and they just quit everything. Hey, never are we told to do that in Scripture. So Paul's going to address those things. So as he begins here, much like First, uh, first uh, Thessalonians, chapter 1, verse 1, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy. So same three guys, right? Silvanus and Silas. Same three guys writing a letter. They're still together. They're there. And then it says, to the church of the Thessalonians, in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So kind of almost identical introduction. And so I'm not going to spend a lot of time in the introduction because we covered that. If you weren't here, you can go back, get our archives, listen to how we opened up First Thessalonians. Cause very similar. The only difference there, he said, he said that the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Here he says, uh, God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he says, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Identical, identical to what he wrote. So I don't want to spend a lot of time. I think it's important that we understand grace comes before peace always. And listen, not just, not just in what he's writing, but in life. So he lays all that out. He's writing to that same group of people. Now listen to what he says here in verse 3. He says, we are bound to thank God always for you, bro- for you, brethren, as it is fitting because your faith grows exceedingly and the love of every one of, uh, of, every one of you all abounds towards each other. So Here's something that I find interesting. He says, I'm, a, I'm bound to give thanks for you. He's almost obligated. Now listen, I don't think he's think, thinking I'm obligated because God is making me. I think he's saying because of what's going on in that church, I'm obligated to recognize it. I'm obligated to look at it. And again, it sort of blows my mind. Here's Paul writing to this church and he says, listen, he says, we're bound to thank God always for you, brethren. Listen to those people. Don't tell me this guy didn't love this church and didn't care about this church. And then he puts this in there. He says, because of your faith, because your faith grows exceedingly. This was a young church. They're not very old. And yet Paul is recognizing that these guys are like zooming, if you will, on this scale of faith. And he didn't just say your faith is growing. He says your faith is growing exceedingly. He's seeing something in this church that's very unique, I think, compared to the other churches at that time and the other churches he planted. And he's recognizing that. He's understanding something's happening in that church in Thessalonica. You know what that, that kind of makes me want to like get in a time machine and go back and check things out. Something was happening there. And here's what's kind of fascinating. In the book of Acts, the church at Thessalonica gets like two and a half verses. There's not a lot written about it. Even in church history, not a lot about that church. But in Paul, I want to see what Paul was seeing in that church and the love. So not only did their faith uh, grow exceedingly. He says, he says, because your faith grows exceedingly and the love of every one of you all, ab- of every one of you all abounds towards each other. Hey, here's what I found 
as your faith gets stronger, your love towards others will grow and will increase, and you will have concern about others. And that's what's happening there. Now, here's what's sort of fascinating to me. I, you know, commentators, I think you guys know I've talked a lot. I love to study. I love to dig in. And I love to look at it. And, you know, I, I like this. I didn't come up with this. Somebody else did. But I like to say this. Some commentators are, are more common than others, right? And some taters are more common than others. So you read these guys. You read these guys and they go, here's what they did. They look at verse 3 and they go, well, you know, in First Thessalonians, he talked about faith, uh, love, and hope. The three things that we brought up. And here he only talks about faith and love. Read the next verse. That's what I whispered to, not you guys, not yet. Them. I tell them, read the next verse because the next verse does talk about. And I think, why do we all of a sudden stop? Like, and do you ever read a letter from somebody and you just stop kind of midway and you don't finish what they're saying? That's rude, right? Because you want to find out what they're totally talking about. So here's the thing. He knows that their faith is growing exceedingly. He knows that their love for each other is abounding and, and really being demonstrated to one another. Then he also knows, look at verse 4, so that we ourselves boast of you among the churches of God for your patience and faith in all of your persecutions and tribulations that you endure. What does that say? That's talking about hope. They can deal with the tribulations and the persecutions. Why? Because they know where they're going and they know the end. And so here's what he says. And once again, I challenge you. Does Paul say this about other churches? Listen to what he says. He says, we boast of you to the other churches. I think Paul would, we're, by the way, he's writing this from the church at Corinth. Don't you think he's looking at those Corinthians and saying, Man, you should see that church in Thessalonica. Losers. Right? So I don't know. Not, he probably didn't do that to the church at Corinth. But <laughs> he kind of did as he wrote to him. But listen. Listen to his heart. He says, I boast about you to the other churches. I tell people. And what has he talked about? About the fact that they're enduring persecution and trials and tribulation. They're going through things. Listen, I think they must have been going through things that were, were kind of unimaginable at the time, and they're dealing with it. And I believe, listen, I believe as Christians, it's hard for us in America to understand that. We don't deal with persecution. Hey, if somebody says something nasty to you, that's not really persecution. That's just somebody saying something nasty to you. These guys are dealing with getting put in jail. They're dealing with getting beat up. They're dealing with getting flogged. Hey, they're dealing with a lot of stuff. And here's what he says. Man, you guys are like, you guys are like, well, that's what's supposed to happen as a Christian. Sometimes I think we've got it too easy. And, you know, I often wonder what would happen if real persecution broke out in America, in, in, in the U.S., and in the churches in the U.S., what would happen and who would really be left standing following the Lord? And he says, man, you guys, you guys endure that. He says, you guys, you, your, your patience and, and faith and all of your persecutions and, and tribulations that you endure. Now listen to what he says. He just talked about persecutions and tribulation. And verse 5, he says this, which is, a, which is manifest evidence of the righteous judgment of God that you may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you also suffer. Does this sound a little weird to you? 
Here's what he just said. Your suffering, your persecution, your tribulation is a manifest evidence, is the evidence that we're looking at of the righteous judgment of God in your life and in your world. Does that make sense? Most of us, listen, if we're being persecuted or, you know, quote, persecuted, I'll put it in the air quotes, right? If people are being mean to us and someone's coming against us, our first reaction is, well, that's surely not the righteous judgment of God. That has to be the enemy, right? And we yell at the devil. Sometimes I think when we're busy yelling at the devil, I think God should say, <clears throat> excuse me, but I'm doing that in your life. And as he talks about, listen, when he's talking about it being a righteous judgment, he's not talking about, you know, judging as far as like the wrath of God coming. Here's what he's saying. God is right in doing that because he knows what he's doing. And God knows what he's doing when those things come in your life. You and I need to get to the place where we can accept the ugly things in our life, the difficult things in our life is a work of God to refine us and to bring us to the place where we can glorify him and honor him and trust him through those things. That's hard. That's a difficult thing to kind of comprehend because we would rather yell at the devil, right? We'd rather oh, get out of here and God say, man, I'm just doing a work in your life. And he says even to make you worthy, right? He's doing this work that you may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you suffer. So don't look at every bad thing in your life as coming from the enemy. Now, I gotta, I gotta be honest, sometimes it is the enemy coming against us. But according to my Bible, the devil can only do in my life what God allows him. I've read the book of Job. I've taught the book of Job, never again. Last time I taught the book of Job, I got a flesh-eating fungus on my leg and had to do the book of Job and kind of go through that. And, and so I'm done. I'm done with the book of Job. I read it still, but if you want to get a teaching, get our archives. <laughs> but here's what we need to understand in the book of Job. Who even brings up, does it ever crack you up when you read that? It says, the sons of God and were presenting themselves to God and, and Satan was with them. And God says, hey, Satan, have you considered my servant Job? I'm thinking if you're Job, you're going, what are you bringing me up for, right? But listen, and then God says, here's how far you can go. This is all you can do. And he sets those limits. And you and I need to understand, even if it is the enemy, it's by the hand of God that the enemy is coming at you. And Check this out. It's the righteous judgment of God in that situation. He's making a good judgment call whether you agree with it or not. So kind of makes the world look a little bit different, doesn't it? I mean, just worldwide, just think about that. God is in control. Do you believe that? Yeah, we say that, but then we sit and complain and moan and groan and yell and get mad and kick our feet and do all these things. He's in control. And we need to accept that and understand. So he says that, he says, and now, now listen, that's intense. And then, and then he says, listen, for the, uh, the kingdom of God for which you suffer, verse 6. By the way, 3 through 8 is one of Paul's run-on sentences, you know, that he's famous for. It's like, dude, do you know how to write a period? 
Like you put some, you know, marks in there. But listen, then verse 6 is still going. He says, listen, uh, uh, this uh, kingdom of God for which you suffer, verse 6, since it is a righteous thing with God to repay tribulation, uh, to, with tribulation, those who trouble you. So here's what he's saying. Although that's going on, God knows it, and God will take care of it. Do you believe that in your life? Amen. When people come against you, you shouldn't get all uptight. Actually, you should feel a little sorry for them because if they don't repent and turn to God, he's going to get them. And it may not be today. It may not be tomorrow. It may not even be in this lifetime. But they're going to pay. And that's just what he told these guys. As you're going through this, you need to know that God is going to take care of that because it's a righteous thing that God would repay tribulation to those who trouble you. Verse seven, and to give you who are troubled rest with us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. So here's what he's saying, man. We will get rest. I remember talking to somebody and like, I, you know, I'm not one of those guys that have endless energy, you know, I, I run out of energy, and there's a few guys that, in my life that they just like go and go and go and go, and I think, man. And uh, one, one friend, he used to always tell me this, I'll put my feet up when Jesus comes. I'll get my rest when Jesus comes. And that's what this is all about. Listen, do you know that when he comes for us, that is the rest. When he comes, it's done we can put our feet up, right? We're not gonna sin anymore. We're not gonna have to battle this flesh. We're not gonna have to do those things. And that's what he's talking about. Now, listen, I know in, in verse six or verse seven, he says, hey, those who trouble you, you're gonna get rest when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. Listen, now he's kind of tiptoeing into the day when Jesus comes to judge the world. We talk about the second coming of Christ but technically, there's two second comings. One is not all the way to the earth. One coming is coming for his church, and he takes his church to be with him and never comes to the earth. Then the tribulation starts. Then he comes, puts his foot on the Mount of Olives, and things start going really crazy for those who are against him. He's talking about that here, and then people say, well, then he says you get rest when that happens. No, he says you will be at rest when that happens. You see, when we're with him, we'll be at rest. And so he says, then he's going to come with his mighty angels. And then look what he says, because this is intense. He says, when Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Whoa. Here's where... I think 2 Thessalonians gets intense. And here's something my prayer is, as believers in Jesus Christ, that this would pierce our hearts. Do you hear what he just said? Jesus is coming to judge. And when he comes to judge, it's over. 
And I don't know about you guys, but that should send chills down our spines that he's coming, uh, that he's coming with flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God and those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. He kind of gives two groups of people, but they're really one big group. They're people without Jesus. Those who don't know Jesus, shouldn't you and I do everything in our power to keep people from facing that? Shouldn't we like be dragging people? Shouldn't we like, like grab people on the street? You're coming to church with me. I don't want to come to church. I don't care if you want to come. Whenever I witness to people, I do bring up eternal punishment, and we'll get there in a moment. And I think it's important to do that. And oftentimes people will tell me, I don't believe in that. And here's what I tell them, I don't care. Doesn't matter if you believe in it, doesn't make it go away. You can say you don't believe in a lot of things, the reality, and they're there. And I said, so I do. And then I always challenge people with this. This might sound like weird to you for some, you know, evangelistic challenging, but I always tell them this. They tell me they don't believe in hell, they don't believe in eternal punishment, they really don't believe in God. And here's what I tell them. So I do, and that's affected how I live. It's affecting my life. If I'm wrong and you're right, what have I lost? Nothing. I've lived a good life. I've had a good life. And if I just die and that's it, I've lived a good life. Now, I don't believe this, but I tell them, I've lived, I haven't lost anything. But if I'm right and you're wrong, what are you going to lose? Everything. And we need to hit them with that. Hey, don't, don't be afraid to engage and don't be afraid even to kind of take their side somewhat. So he says, listen, he's coming. Now here's what he's talking about. He's talking about those who do not know God, those who do not obey. And then he's talking about end time judgment when Jesus comes. Now there are two judgments coming. There's a bema seat of Christ that's for believers. And then there's a great white throne that's for unbelievers. And the dichotomy between them, the contrast between them, just like really blows my mind. Listen, the judgment seat of, of uh, Christ, the Bema seat of Christ, t- takes place before he comes back to planet Earth. I believe that takes place at the rapture. And we're judged. Now, I don't know that it's a good thing even to call it a judgment. It's more of a reward ceremony. And some of us, listen, some of us will go through when there's not much reward. And some of us are going to go through, there's reward. But I don't think that we should be afraid of the judgment seat of Christ. I think we should look forward to it, especially if you're serving him. I believe most of you in here want to hear these words, well done, good and faithful servant. That's probably the biggest reward you could get. So that time is a time of rewards and and takes place then. The great white throne judgment takes place after the thousand year reign of Christ when everything is wrapped up. One is for believers, the other is for unbelievers, those who did not obey and did not know Jesus. The judgment seat, here's what I like to look at. At the judgment seat of Christ, no one's gonna be lost. Our sins have already been paid for. At the great, great white throne judgment, Here's the scary thought. No one will be saved. That's it. That's final. Think about that as we walk through this, this, uh, this life. At the judgment seat of Christ, those who stand there will live forever in heaven. At the great white throne judgment, those who stand there in, in some ways, in some sense, will die forever 
and eternal punishment. And we're going to look at that in a moment. At the judgment seat of Christ, people will spend eternity with God. And at the great white throne, people will spend eternity without the presence of God. So keep that in mind. And that should, listen, that should start stirring in us a desire to get people to heaven, right? We should really want to share our faith. We should quit being people who are mad at the world and people who are trying to get the world into the church and save them. And bring them in. So then, listen, as, as Paul says that, here's what he says. He says, he'll come in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. These shall be punished, in verse 9, with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and the glory of his power. Verse 9 should be one of the most frightening verses we can read. Their punishment is going to last forever. I've had debates with people that I'm close to, people in ministry that there's a thing, I don't know how many of you know it, there's a thing, and some people want to believe this, called annihilation, that once you're in hell, you're going to be there for a while, and eventually you'll be annihilated. And, you know, one question that, that Pastor Rob always brings up is, you're telling me it's not forever, but you don't know how long it is. So that's kind of interesting, but I think it's forever. And people don't want to believe that. Why? It's frightening. It's scary to think of you will be in, you know, in the, quote, presence of God's wrath, never ending. It's never going to go away. And so here's what he says. Here he's calling it everlasting destruction. The, now, listen, the, the word there, destruction, does not mean a cessation of existence. I like this, but rather the loss of everything that makes existence worthwhile. Wow. That's kind of intense to think about, right? You're going to lose everything that makes you exist and, and, and makes that worthwhile. Or it does not refer to annihilation, but to ruination, Listen, if you don't have the presence of God, I think it was Spurgeon who said it best. Here's what he said. He said, imagine the worst day of your life. One of the things where you got the worst news in your life, the worst thing, just imagine that one day, kind of get that one day fixed in your head. I don't mean to be a downer, but, but just kind of think about that and then multiply it by about a thousand times and then realize there's no end. God, that's, that's scary, isn't it? I mean, that's frightening. And when we get it in those terms, listen, I, I read a lot of commentaries. They're trying to water down seven, eight, and nine, and they're trying to make them something palatable and something good. Nothing about hell is good, ever. Do you know Jesus spent more time talking about hell than he did heaven? And so as we think about, listen, it is a place that, that is a guarantee place if you reject Jesus Christ for those who don't know him and those who do not obey the gospel. How do you obey the gospel? Listen, this isn't a legalistic thing. How do you obey the gospel? By believing that Jesus Christ died for your sins, that his death on the cross took care of your sins. So that's what's going on here. So here's what Paul is trying to tell this church. Yes, those people are coming against you. Yes, they're even killing some of you. And yes, it's a horrible life, but you need to realize they're facing a horrible eternity. And that's going to make how you look at your persecution a little bit different. And you're going to have a little bit different attitude. And then, listen, now 
Now that's all the bummer stuff. So let's, let's, those of you who don't like bummer stuff, wake up now, come back, and let's look at this. Therefore, listen what he says in verse 10. I'm sorry, in verse 10 he says, they're going to, uh, in verse 9, they shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power when he comes in that day to be glorified in his saints and to be admired among all those who believe because our, test, because our testimony among you was believed. Do you see the two different ones? Some, Jesus coming is a horrible event that they're looking at. Others, it's the most beautiful event that they could see. Jesus is going to be glorified by our lives. Do you understand that? We have this tremendous privilege of glorifying God while we live, while we live in this flesh. And then I love this. And then he says, listen, you're going to be, you're going to admire him. And he, and he says, why all of this? Because you believed us. Because you believed what we said. And then it gets even a little bit better. Look at verse 11. Therefore, we also pray always for you that our God would count you worthy of, his, of this calling and fulfill the good pleasure of his goodness and the, work of, uh, and the work of faith with power. Here's what Paul's saying. Man, I'm praying that you make it to the end. Now, here's what I know. They're going to make it to the end because God saves us eternally. And we're saved and some people say, why should we pray for God to do something that we know he's going to do? And I understand that gets a little bit like, why am I doing that? Well, let me give you a clue. God does not work in a vacuum. God works through people. And God works through people's choices. And God uses prayer. How do I know that? Because he tells me to pray. One of my favorite, one of my favorite illustrations of Praying when you know God is going to do something. Daniel chapter 9. Daniel chapter 9 is one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. Daniel's one of my favorite books because all of the critics hate Daniel. You know, well, Daniel couldn't have written that. There's no way nobody could know those details. And I always tell, when people tell me that, I go, you're absolutely right. The Holy Spirit wrote it through Daniel. By love in chapter 9, do you remember in chapter 9, I'm going to paraphrase it. I'm going to paraphrase it. Okay, in, in Daniel chapter 9, Daniel's sitting back. He's got his espresso. He's doing his morning devotions. And who does Daniel read for his morning devotions but Jeremiah? Remember, Jeremiah's a prophet, a contemporary. He's got the scroll of Jeremiah. And he's reading the scroll of Jeremiah. And he's reading along. Here's what Daniel reads. That Israel will be in captivity for 70 years. Where's Daniel? In captivity. How long has he been in captivity? Oh, about 69 years. And he just read the word of God. And here's what Daniel knows. At year 70, they're out. He knows that. Why? Because he read it because it's God word, God's word. So what does Daniel do? He puts down his thing, finishes his scroll, finishes his espresso, goes outside, calls everybody together and says, let's celebrate in the streets because we're going to be released in a year. It's not what he does. What does Daniel do? He prays. He prays that God would release them on the 70th year. Now, some of us go, that's a waste of time. No, it's not. 
It gives us an illustration that, hey, just because we may believe with all of our heart that God is going to do something, we still pray through it. Why? Because he's going to use that in our lives and in the lives of others. And I do believe, listen, I do believe our prayers, according to what I've seen in Scripture, can move the hand of God. Not that we change things, but God uses us. And it should be a privilege that we understand. We get to talk to God. So here's what Paul is praying. God Make them worthy and make them count to the end. Now, that's a good prayer, isn't it? Shouldn't we be praying that for one another? Shouldn't we be concerned about one another that we're going to be counted worthy for the kingdom and we're gonna make it to the end and we're gonna glorify him? And I love it. Listen, I love it that God would count you worthy of this calling and, the, and fulfill all the good pleasure of his goodness. Don't you, doesn't that just sound good? Because there's so much good there. Right, His good pleasure of all of his goodness and the work of faith with power that the name, in verse 12, that the name of the Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul's praying that they'll finish the race. But how are they gonna finish the race? By the grace of God. You see, salvation from beginning to end is the grace of God. We can never take credit. Listen, when you get to that, that Bema seat of Christ, you're not gonna sit there and go, woo, you owe me this crown and this crown and this crown. According to my understanding of scripture, if you get anything, you're gonna throw it at his feet and lay it at his feet because you know you're not worthy. It totally blows my mind like, I'm blown away that I got saved. I know a lot of people think they kind of deserve to get saved, and maybe you're in that camp. I'm shocked. I look in the morning in the mirror, and I go, God, you are so funny. <laughs> you saved me. You saved me. And then I look and say, and you call me to ministry. That's amazing. I mean, in my mind, it's amazing. It blows my mind. And then, and then here's what I think. And I get to do this ministry, and I get to teach his word. And when I get all done, here's what I know. He's done everything, and he does all the work. He fills me with his spirit. He gives me the ability to do it. He kind of pushes me along sometimes when I don't want to do it, puts me in situations where I have to do it. And then here's the thing. Then he goes, and in the end, I'll give you a reward. For what? You did everything. You know my famous saying, right? We're just hoses. None of, us, none of us congratulate our hose when we're watering something. None of us sit there and go, oh, hose, you do so good. Of all the hoses in the world, you're like the best hose ever. We just use our hose, right? And that's what we're just hoses. And when we understand that, listen, when we understand that, God can do great things through us. And I love the idea of Paul's wanting them to finish, Paul's praising them, Paul's encouraging them. And then he says, but it's all by the grace of God. That's how it happens. So saints, ah, chapter one's full of stuff. We gotta learn how to deal with persecution. We gotta get an understanding of those who persecute us are in some serious trouble if they don't get saved. And we need to understand the reality of people, what's going to happen to people who do not know Jesus Christ. That's frightening. 
Years ago, I went to a concert. There was a concert down in Douglas, a Christian concert, and they had a heavy metal band, and they warmed up, and then the heavy metal band started playing. Not my kind of music. I'm not saying it's bad, but it's like I don't listen to much heavy metal music. And these guys are rocking out, and I'm thinking, wow, that's kind of weird for a Christian concert. And then someone came up and handed me a track, and I took the track, and here's what the track said. There are no unbelievers in hell. And I thought, what kind of heretical organization is running this thing? What is going on here? Then I opened the track, and here's what it said. 30 seconds in hell will make you a believer. <laughs> Listen, but then it's too late. Does that chill you? I mean, that just struck me, man. I read that. And then I heard the guy singing, say Jesus once, and I figured it was okay. I couldn't hear the rest of it, but I did hear Jesus but listen, saints, people are dying and going to hell, and it's our responsibility to shine the light and the gospel of Jesus Christ. Even those who are mean to you, even those who are nasty to you, even, you know, the people who you don't like, share. Be a light. You're not always going to share with words. Some of it's going to be with your life, but do it. Let's stand up and pray. Father, as we do get ready to go, I thank you for this challenge. I, I thank you for this church and, and uh, that part of today what's called Turkey and Thessalonica. And Lord, just they demonstrate before their persecutors and before the world the love that they, they have for you. It's obvious. If it's obvious to Paul, it's got to be obvious to others. And Lord, I pray that we could be that kind of church. We could be men and women who celebrate you, not just in these walls where it's safe and sound, but we celebrate you wherever we go. Be glorified in our lives, be exalted in our lives, and God use us. Use us to bring people into this thing we call Christianity. Let us be those lights that shine brightly. And I'm gonna ask you to stay in an attitude of prayer for a couple more minutes. And if you are here today, and you don't know Jesus and you've not obeyed the gospel, that, that part of that, that uh, teaching must have hit your heart pretty hard. And I have a feeling you're a little bit uptight right now. And maybe even trying to get out, but the person next to you won't let you out, so you're stuck. So listen, listen carefully. If I'm speaking to you and your palms are a little sweaty right now, understand this one thing. What we read is true. If you do not know Jesus and you have not obeyed the gospel, then what you have earned, what you deserve, is this eternal destruction, everlasting destruction that we defined. That's frightening and that's scary. And that goes for, listen, that goes every person in here. The Bible says we've all sinned, all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So you need to come to the place where you recognize that's you. The people who are saved here today know that that's them. But you need to come to that place and you need to let God know and you need to ask him to save you. It's kind of some bad news. The good news is Jesus Christ died on the cross for you. He went to the cross, paid the penalty that you owed, and now he holds out to you this, this receipt that I suffered your eternal destruction and I've taken care of it here. Now you can be saved. 
And all you have to do is take that from him. So I'm gonna lead you in a prayer. That's the way you can take that from him. I'm gonna lead you in a prayer. You can say this prayer with me out loud or you can say it silent. It's not volume that matters, but what does matter is your heart. You need to be sincere. If you're backslidden today, hey, if you're backslidden, then I wanna just encourage you to front slide. Come home to Jesus, come back. And you know who I'm talking about. Number one, you're miserable as you can be, so come back, come back to Jesus. If you're watching online, you can say the prayer right where you're at. You don't have to be in this building. You don't even have to be close to this building. Hey, if you're watching all the way across the country or halfway around the world, God's touched your heart, say this prayer. Jesus, today I confess that I am a sinner. I'm sorry, Lord, that I sinned against you. And right now I'm asking you to forgive me. Jesus, thank you for dying for me. Thank you today for your forgiveness. And right now I'm asking you to come into my heart and change me. Jesus, come into my life and guide me. I want you to be my Lord and my Savior.